Right. So, first question, Tom, mm -hmm. is, you know the context. Why did you say yes to doing the interview? <laughs> because I think it's a very interesting subject. Okay. And in fact, I think it's worth investigating. And I would love to see, after you've interviewed 100 people, what you come up with, like, where does creativity come from? Okay. That was the question I heard. Okay. You know. right. How would you define a maverick? Remember, this whole project is about business mavericks, people who don't do things in their industry like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, it would be some, someone who can, to my way of thinking, receive... You know, I think the spirit realm is... Mm -hmm. I don't think anything happens on this planet by accident. I think it's all divine choreography. Okay. And whoever's pulling the strings... There's certain human beings, artists, writers, musicians, that can hear that voice of spirit, have never really disconnected. Okay. And I think these are channels that can bring in completely new ideas that haven't come from sequential thought. Right. A development of something that was already here. It's a brand new direction, new way to go, completely new idea, new thought. I think that's how they come. Okay. In my philosophy. Okay. Anyway, so. Okay. Why do you think you're a maverick? I heard well, this was one of those ideas. Okay. And there's a lot of things that showed me along the way that this was, it was never my idea, you know. It just, uh, I started thinking about spheres, about how neat a sphere is, the shape and, you know, everything else. And the fact that, it, you know, if you look at a ping pong ball, you can give it a real whack and it just distributes this stress. It was nature's packaging, you know, okay. it's biomimicry. It's... And then I thought I was going to build a spherical houseboat was my original idea. Right. I wanted to make a great big sphere on pontoon floats that could go to sea and, you know, when it was in port, you could open these big drawbridge front and back ends. Right. So you could have these huge circular decks and you could have all this glass and open airy feel to it. And then it would close up the drawbridges and yeah. swing closed and you could go to sea and you'd have the structural integrity of the sphere. Right. And then when I started building Eve... I uh, I was, you know, working out. I figured I better make something small that I could manage and learn how to build a sphere first. Right. And I got halfway through making Eve and I had an accident in the shop and a block let go. I had it suspended from rope so that yeah. I could turn it and always work at a good angle. Yeah. And then one a block went go one day when I just about finished completely and... Boom, it bounced off the walls for a while. It did the little pendulum thing and it yeah. smashed off of a big steel wall. And I thought, oh my God, that's going to be wrecked. And I ran over there and nah, there's no damage at all. You know, it just took it in stride like a yeah. sphere tends Wood. to do, you know. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> eventually the idea to put it up in the trees came to me. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, and why I said, you know, it came in, in over a long period of time is during the construction, lots of times, like I would go to bed with a question on my mind mm -hmm. and wake up with an answer. An answer you know? yeah. And so that wasn't me thinking all through the night. It yeah. Was, you know, gifts, little yes. help, you know. And, uh, and then the other thing that makes me say that is... Um, I was completely oblivious to all of this symbolism and everything else. And 
we knew it was a healing place and just from experience you know what people said after yeah. they'd spent time out here and yeah. everything else and and years after Eve was up in the trees and after in fact I'd first put Aaron up in the trees or the other way yeah. the uh I had this dream that was kind of an explanation of how it all worked. It was right. just incredible about how, you know, healing is more about a change of um, perception. Mm -hmm. You know, that was how it went. It was, you know, you can from a perception of sickness and oh, poor pitiful me to a yes perception of strength of yeah wholeness of it's healing, interesting you, know? you should say that because i don't know if you know but i used to be a children's nurse before i actually came into this world oh, and okay. i've worked in i've worked in palliative care oh, okay. so a tough day yeah. at me for work was burying a four-year-old and a 17-year-old on the same day and helping a family mm -hmm. get through that yeah. and a lot of the research shows that your perspective on your illness like if you take cancer sufferers mm -hmm. The people who think they will get better, the odds on them getting better far outweigh those that mm -hmm. their yeah, perspective changes. There's, there's hundreds of pieces of research on this. Mm -hmm. Okay, The London School of Economics developed a maverickism scale. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you seven statements and you just need to say true, false, can't decide. Mm -hmm. People tell me that I'm a maverick or words to that effect. Yes. I have a knack of, get, of forgetting things right when least expected. Yes. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. Mm, yes, for sure. I am much more productive than other people. Mm, I don't know about that. Okay. I have very unusual talents. Yeah, I'd say yes to that. I'm generally underestimated by people. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. It's a different way for sure. Yeah. Tom, why do you do things differently? I understand what you were explaining about yeah. the spirituality. Yeah, it's just coming out you know, from the inside, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you listen to your inner voice. Yeah, definitely. Can you give me an example of what you do differently and how? Well, I, in this case, mm -hmm. I hang spheres from ropes up in the trees and, and I'm kind of, and because that's my inner guidance was to do mm -hmm. that, and it's taken on a life of its own. Okay. You know, and now it's kind of evolved into, into promoting... Uh, another model of forest use where okay. it can be used more sustainably and I mean the big thing here in Canada where we you know we harvest natural resources wholesale mm. and, and just rape the planet yes. this is a way of harvesting our beautiful forest resource in a sustainable ecotourism way where, okay. in which case we don't destroy the resource yeah. you know we, we offer people an opportunity to experience it you know, okay. and it's a magical experience. It is a magical experience. And, uh, is what you do equated with the bottom line, so money, or something else? It started off as totally something else. In mm -hmm. fact, I went away to work to finance my okay. building of the spheres. And it's been, it's my 21st year along this path. Mm -hmm. And I've 
finance the spheres for the first 15 years okay. by going away and working at my regular jobs. Mm -hmm. And now the last five years, the spheres have financed me, okay. you know, my building campaign. And we're kind of stuck here. So I would say it started off totally 100% the idea leading me. And right. now it's more of an economic thing. Okay. And it's really bogging down okay. <laughs> now that it's we'll, deteriorated. We can work the, on that. I've got yeah. a few people I think I'd like to connect you with yeah. um, who might find some yeah. interesting uses for these. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm a businessman. It feels like I'm a fish out of water when I'm in yeah. a, you know, a commercial business environment. Yeah. It just It's not where my heart is. Yeah. We can talk about that after. Mm. I'm actually very good at that. Oh. Although my heart is about something else. But I'm very, very good at seeing... Like, mm -hmm. you think about this. This was a business... I did my master's in a business school, but look mm -hmm. what I ended up exploring. Mm -hmm. So I'm very good at that. Mm -hmm. I'm very good at making money for people like yeah. that. <laughs> good. Is part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your life? Tom gets to choose what he does, where he yeah, goes. Yeah, I would say, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Does doing things differently require certain skills, talents, or mindsets? And if so, what are they? Yeah. Well, I think it does, to my way of thinking. It, mm -hmm. It's more a matter of, of realizing your gifts and utilizing those gifts yeah. in the way that they were intended to be, to be used. used. Yeah. Excellent. What are the challenges to being a maverick? Now, you've already said one of the challenges, you're very spiritual, you're following what your inner voice is telling you, but you're not so great at the business front. So, any other challenges because you think different? Mm, well, it's, yeah, staying on top of your game, like following that inner guidance. Mm -hmm. One of the things that this sphere business has done is it delivers a steady stream of people like yourself right you know look at the graffiti in our back yeah i saw know. it we get an amazing slice of humanity yes. that comes through our gates there and comes to stay in the sphere i get a chance to meet them right. and have an interaction with all of them yeah. so in a way my life has kind of evolved to being a hotelier yeah, okay. You know, instead of a builder, and I always saw myself as a builder. And, yeah. And, and that's where my real gifts lie, I think. Oh, but definitely. At the same time, you know. You've just made me that. think of somebody. There's somebody I want you to, I'm going to introduce you to. One of the things I do, if I go off on a tangent, it's because if I tell you now, I won't forget to tell you at the end. Mm -hmm. One of the gifts that I've been given is that I can see connections between other mavericks. And I was interviewing somebody who's very, very successful. Digital media company, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he's the guy behind the new BMW i new commercial. And he turned around and he said, do you know what I want from you, Billy? I said, what? And he said, when you finish this, when I have a challenge, I want to be able to pick up the phone and say, Bill, this is my problem. Name me three mavericks around the world who'd be able to help me see a different perspective on this. Mm -hmm. And it, I went home and I started thinking about it, Tom, and this is exactly what's happened. Like, now you're talking, I know a guy who is, oh my God, you're going to love him. He used to design film sets, sets for Steven Spielberg. 
You and him have to talk, okay? And he's now created a different type of architecture that I'll, I'll show you about after, okay? So, what's been your lowest point of your journey as a maverick? Because it isn't an easy path, we know. Moments of self-doubt, I would say. When, when it seems to be such a massive project, and oh God, am I ever going to get to the end of this, you know? And, when you got to go off to work again and, yeah. and pay a bunch of bills and okay, you know. okay. What aspects of your personality or character influence your maverick approach? Personality or character? I'm stubborn as hell. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking. I just know he's going to stay stubborn because my last interview <laughs> we had a thirty-minute conversation just about how pig-headed and stubborn he was and <laughs> he told me all these stories about how he got it off his father so stubborn as hell yeah oh yeah i stick with the job once i get onto it okay or a project you're right and uh, i can be very innovative innovative in the sense i can listen you know and just let those outside of the box ideas come into my head okay you know? Stay open to that. Okay, I love that. Stay open to it. Are you born or bred a maverick? I think I was born that way. Okay. Do you think your childhood in any way impacted on you being the maverick that you are today? Oh, absolutely. I think everything in life is kind of a build-up to where I am here and now. Okay. Know? And... Uh, I think I was born to be what I am now. You know? Okay. I always had that sense of uh, destiny calling. You mm -hmm. know? And uh, my dad was a very um, mechanical guy. He right. Was totally, you know, built things, designed machines. He always had an idea. Like when when we were kids growing up, he always had a, a shop out in the backyard and. He fixed automobiles and he rebuilt motors and, you know, he was a machinist and a millwright and a heavy-duty mechanic. He had okay. three different trades. Mm -hmm. And uh, he got us a business when we were kids, you know. There was nine of us kids. Okay. So it was a big, big Catholic family. family, you know, and there was a lot of mouths to feed. And so when my older brother, I'm the second oldest, when my older brother and I were uh, very young, like, early teenagers, 13, 14, he got a business packaging nuts and bolts. Right. Know, and where we would get big kegs of screws or bolts or nuts and we'd have to make up boxes and count out 50 or 25 or 100 yeah. or whatever and weigh them and then, you know, repeatedly weigh out 100 of these yeah. and put them in a box, label a box, seal it all up, put it in a case and so we yeah. were repackaging, basically. Yeah. And then he was forever coming along with making machines to help with the repackaging. So there'd be right. a shaker and a little spiral trough where these screws could get laid out one after another and they'd come into the machine. And when the weigh scale, you know, went down, well, it would trip. That was one box dump and so on. Right. So he was always making little machines like that. Okay, so big so, influence. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> How is your enthusiasm and drive and energy related to being a maverick? Hmm. Well, I get 
I can be enthusiastic, and actually Rosie's been very supportive of that, mm -hmm. of doing something that's way out in a wing. Like yeah. everybody uh, told people, oh, I'm going to build a sphere. You know, why? You know, why? What, what purpose, you know? Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, when you looked at even the, the first sphere, Lake Eve, probably took 6,000 man hours. Yeah. You know, that's a big commitment of time yeah. and energy and money. And so everybody was always walking through my shop, shaking their head. Oh, it's looking nice, but why? You know, and so, and to just, you know, soldier on in yeah. the face of all of that and know that there must be a payoff down the road or I wouldn't have this idea. Yeah, you know, completely. So. I, I can, it's really nice for me to talk to people like yourself because it's a little bit like this, started up as a project, you know, 29 interviews, thesis is done. Why? Are you deciding to take this for a hundred? I'm getting not paid it for any of this. There may be a, you know, there's got to be a book down the line. What if you never write the book? And I'm kind of like, you know what? You know how I. Explain? I bet that's incredible research data. You know, yeah. I bet anybody who you interview would love to see the whole compilation at the end. Do you know what? Yeah. If I told I you, Tom, to. I'm stunned. At home, I have a set of transcripts. I'll be sending you yours. I have a transcript like that. And somebody actually said to me, "What must be going on in here?" with mm -hmm. you, with what you're learning. Oh, absolutely. That's why I said yeah. to you, it was a small project. It wasn't till I picked up the phone and rang Shell Oil. Mm -hmm. And I, I ended up interviewing somebody in their innovation team who turned mm -hmm. around and said, Billy, we'd like to fly you over. And that's when I realised that, hang on a minute, this is bigger than I'm actually... One, mm. Somebody actually said to me, you just you just made yourself the global expert on everybody who thinks differently. Do you actually know what your marketable commodity rates are <laughs> at the moment? Good. So, and from my perspective... I say, absolutely great. People should look at it. People yeah. should look at yeah. it. But, you know, from my perspective, Tom, be really honest. Yeah. Listen to your heart. I gave up listening to the world years ago yeah. I only ever listened yeah. to my inner voice well that's why I give, told you that little story yeah. about the druids I got it when I was looking at all of this in the beginning you know I was trying to wonder well what connections and and you know and I read a little something about druidry you know a tiny little paperback book by a guy named Philip Shellcraft and uh, you know it was talked about how druids had this uh, and I wanted to fit everything into a triangle of trees. And for me, it was more from a mechanical point of view. Yeah. A three-legged stool is always stable. Four-legged stool, invariably, if you're on a rough ground, grove, you know, when it occurs in nature, because triangles aren't that common. You know, perfectly shaped triangles, anyway. And how every sacred grove has all of these. And then, you know, it kind of interested me more, and I got more into it. And then I read all about that uh, sitting in the awan. How, Tell me that story again, because I want to make sure I've got that. Okay, well, saying. it was more about how, you know, there's the three levels of druidry and yeah. how the bards and minstrels, which were the beginning ground floor entry level druids, kind of, they were charged with, you know, telling stories and, and entertainment okay. and, and setting the stage for everything that was to come later. and. And one of the ways that they would come up with new ideas for songs or ballads or stories, whatever, was to sit in the awan. And the awan, there's even a symbol for awan that's in my office here, okay. was to um, was a, uh, a f river or a stream of flowing inspiration or flowing spirit. 
and they would immerse themselves in this stream of flowing spirit or ideas, or Owen called it, this stream of flowing A inspiration. A bit like Michaeli's work on being in the flow. Yeah, could be. Yeah, there's a famous Russian guy who wrote... It's a, he, what he was saying was, like, if you look at a drummer, mm-hmm. they're lost. They're not in this world no more. Okay, and if yeah, you look yeah. at an artist, when mm-hmm. they're drawing, I'll send you a link on a TED Talk. Yeah, someone who's using their gifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, okay, so that makes sense. How do you see rules? <laughs> Useful for some people, not for me. I like okay. to think of myself as outside. And in fact, here in Canada, in this whole, the birth of this whole project was mercifully uh, capable of happening because of the, the lack of rules we have here. Right. You know, in a more structured, regimented area, I couldn't have done, done it. Done this. You know, okay. I would have had to move further out into the hinterland. Wonderful. That, that actually makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Are you always a maverick, or do you choose to be so at times, and why? I conform, I guess, at times, just because it leads for a simpler life, less complicated. Okay, that makes sense. But it's not my nature. Yeah, I, I, I figured that, Tom, I figured that. Uh, do you turn your maverickism level up and down then? You know, like like here, you're talking to me, I'm writing a book on maverick. Absolutely. I can be as I can way out as 100%, I... 100%, yeah. yeah. And there are times when you think, okay, I just need to oh, tone yeah. it down. I think you always temper your presentation to the audience. Okay, you. okay. And is this choice to turn this dial up and down conscious or unconscious? Mm-hmm. Both, I would say. Okay. You know, like sometimes you're just in real creative space with yeah. other creative people. Right. And you don't even think about it. Yeah. Just, you know, being as creative or out, you know, letting that inspiration Should flow. flow. You know? Okay. What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? In business... Well, the advantage is always coming up with original ideas yeah. and, and new ways of doing things. The disadvantage is they're not always perceived as workable, or so you get, you know, nah, it's not going to work. Then. You know, even the sphere idea, you must be out of your mind kind of thing, you know. So in a conventional business meeting, you know, well, most conventional businessmen aren't, aren't amenable to completely new ideas you know yeah they oh. like predictability and structure and okay we know the, the economics of this we know the statistics of this that's tried and true we'll stick with that you know what's really scary about this hmm. that some of the most successful businessmen in the women in the world businessmen and women in the world weren't like that no steve jobs yeah, one of the most true. successful he's the idea this is how this all came about mm-hmm. you know you can think differently. Yeah. He doesn't say, oh, we've got to do what customers want us to do. He turns around and says, um, we'll design them a shuffle. They don't know they need one yet. Mm-hmm. And it was that completely, you know, different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Has age and experience altered your Maverick approach? And if so, how have you grown? I would say it probably has. And, and people always say reality check is, you know, what that's all about, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's hard work to build things from scratch and finance it out of your own pocket, you know. And I've never quite managed to make that connection to, you know, where somebody else was financing my stuff. Okay. You know. So. Okay. And anyway, even if they did make, they probably <coughs> want such a big cut of it. Yeah, that's just it, the vulture capitalist. Yeah, vulture capitalist. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in? Um, well, the whole thing is pretty maverick, you know, like housing people up in the trees yeah. and uh, trying to convince the authorities that I can do this safely. Please, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's that's been a real trial okay. all along, you know. I mean, there's definitely demand and... And that's why we do the liability waivers. We yeah. had to do all kinds of things. And finally, the the kind of only way that they would let it happen was if I could provide them with liability insurance. Right, so okay. So if we have a major accident, the local regional district is not left holding the bag. Big. I've oh, got yeah. liability. A that bit makes of a sense. safety net. And so if I could convince an insurer that it was worth taking a risk on, right. they were okay with that. Okay. So... So what, what aspects of your business are you least maverick in? What do you do just like everybody else? Well, check people in, the, the basic pay your goddamn taxes. Yeah, do you know what? <laughs> You're going to love this. N yeah. Top answer. <laughs> Everyone. Tax and finance. Oh, There's no And I said to somebody... It's you such know, a drain. You know, I know. To sit down at a computer and do something you absolutely detest. Do you know what? Time I, and I, time again. I know. spoke to somebody and I went, you know, I'm really hoping that at the 100 Maverick, somebody's going to turn around and tell me <laughs> they've learned how to Mavericify the tax system. <laughs> and you know what he said? He was very interesting. He goes, if you've got those gifts, yeah. why would you spend your energy Mavericifying the tax wouldn't you just go off and I thought yeah. you know he's got a valid point yeah yeah to turn to turn your maverick enterprise into a you know a viable business yeah. uh, that's when you got to kind of cross the line and... yes how do you being, balance being a maverick with home life well it's just Rosie and I my kids are grown mm -hmm. you know and my kids were long gone out of the house and right. the kids coming along before I started to um do my real maverick enterprise. Before that, I, I always balanced it. I had a full-time regular job. Right. And I did my wacko things on... I built a sailboat, you know. Right. Started building boats back in, like, 1981 because I had a desire to sail around the world. Okay. So, you know, my way of doing that was, well, build a boat. Build a boat. You know, Logic. I can build a nice big shop into it, take my work with me. Yeah. I can always fix things for people. It doesn't matter where I am. Yeah. You know, as long as I've got a smattering of tools, tools and you know a way of connecting well the way we go so i guess it worked better once the kids were gone I right had a separation my first wife you know was not really supportive mm -hmm. she always thought i was wacko and you know had to have that good reality check and yeah. get to work and you know be more conventional, white picket fence and a yes. house. She always wanted to buy a house. I have yeah. never owned property. I've always, you know, yeah, never had the money for it, for one thing. So it was always my dreams that consumed my yeah. resources. It was never, you know, to own and amass a, you know, okay. a fortune for the future. It was always live in the moment. Yes, you know, exactly. It's called mindfulness. Dreams, yeah. The Dalai Lama tells yeah. us all about it. Yeah. 
but people don't, do they? Mm. Okay. Is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind? Yeah. And is how much of, if anything, of being a maverick is relating to giving back and paying it forward? Well, I think the whole bringing forth of this idea is my contribution to the the whole kind of, you know. I think just by doing that, I, this was one of my mission, one of my missions anyway, was okay. to bring this idea forth and just put it out there. And I'm sure other people pick it up and run with it. And so it's my contribution to that global body of knowledge. Excellent. So it's the contribution, because I was thinking, the contribution to what? So it's the global body of knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Mavericks tend to be risk-takers. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken in business? In business? So it can be this business, it can be anything <laughs> It's definitely this business, yeah. So what was the biggest risk? Um, just putting it out there, like, it was early in the, in the you know... We operated under the radar yeah. for the first 10 years I was building spheres, you know. Yeah. I was putting them out there. I kind of had a loose liaison with the Denman Island guest house. So when I went over to the Persian Gulf to, right. to work for a stint and make some more money so I could carry on, I I put Eve, the little sphere, on their property. And they were right. kind of going to rent it out. And they were like me. Everybody was operating under the radar. radar. You know? Okay. And then... The bigger the business gets, and the more publicity. I mean, yeah. we had books and magazines that wanted to write stories, yeah. and TV crews that wanted to film, and and it was always done with real trepidation. Okay. Like, holy smokes, you know, this is kind of coming up above. You're yeah. not out of the radar, radar anymore yeah, when yeah. you're in the public no, eye. No, you're not. Yeah. And so then it was a lot of years of waiting for a Hammer to come down and say, "Hey, what are you doing there?" But it didn't. You know? Well, you know what happened is. No, it didn't. It it kind of tourism BC started to become a big ally, and although the regional just just kind of looked the other way and let us operate, tourism BC saw what a huge asset we were. Like yeah. We had this whole international clientele coming here to see what was really new and different, and they were touting it as as something you know like. In fact, this whole Builders of the Pacific Coast, that's about the art and architecture of the Pacific Coast and how right. it's so much different than anything anywhere else in the world. Right, okay, so the risk and paid so off. They start, they pay writers and things to come here sometimes, to right. stay here, because they want to show them so what's new and different and really, you know, zingy about... You yeah, know, it was really funny. Northwest. It was really interesting, actually, bumping into you and talking to you a bit yesterday because I was like, do you know, I've got loads of different people, but I haven't got a hockey date. I'm, now I'm like, I haven't got this field, I haven't got this field, because it's mm. like getting down to the last 29, 25 is all I need, and I'm done my 100 now. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I'd been, like, as I said to you, I'd got in touch with earth ships okay yeah. and i hadn't heard anything back yet and then i just walked here and i went when i realized you had built all this I, I you walked away yesterday and i said i just think i found my maverick architect that's that's what exactly mm. what i said to mark last night so this has been i know this has been going for a while so how many projects have you done as part of free spirit spheres in the last five years they happen very slowly. Um, the last three projects, which would 
basically spanned the last five years are the office sphere, mm -hmm. uh, the mushroom out house up by Melody, right. and the new bathhouse with the three okay. bathrooms. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to change the questions a bit. So basically, with everything you've created, yeah, what would you consider are the characteristics of a successful project? Well, what does success look like to Tom? Well, I'd say when everybody else comes and looks at it, they say, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, my next question's probably answered itself. Um, how many of these were successful according to that definition? <laughs> All of them. All yeah. of the above. Yeah. Okay. So, what leads to successful execution of a project for you? Because you said earlier on, you said, you know, you have these ideas... Everybody's saying to you, why would you do it? This is going to take years. You know, why? They keep asking you why. But you already know why because you're following your inner mm -hmm. So, So, you know, with Mavericks, what I'm, one of the things I'm finding is a lot of them, anybody can have a great idea. Mm -hmm. It's the execution of it that seems to be the... So, you've executed these. You've made it happen. So what leads to that successful execution? Apart from the stubbornness and determination. Yeah, just knowing that it's your your job, kind of like your mission and purpose in life to do that, you know. And when okay. you're on track like that, life is good. You're happy. Everything, Everything's in its place. Everything's happening as it should. Simple. And there's a feeling that, you know, you're in the flow and... And all is well. Everything's as it should be. Okay. Of, you know, like I got even in the beginning. If you'd have known me twenty-one years ago, I was this totally shy, avoid the limelight, you know, guy. And I mean, I was a, always traveled. I was yeah, a great yeah. traveler, and and loved to be with other travelers. And but you know, somebody'd ask me if I would, you know. Uh, be on TV or anything like that. Oh my God, you got to be kidding! Yeah, obviously. Well, when I started building this, you know, when I started building Eve and my brother's shop up in Bowser, borrowing shop space and going away to make money so I could come and do this project, I, I had this uh, part of the, you know, part of the whole package that was coming into my mind was, this is going to be really big. Yeah. This is going to be something that. You know, uh, you're going to be out there. You're going to be on stage. I'm you're exactly be... like the, this. Is exactly uh, if yeah. I had ten bucks for everybody who told me I'm going to be on Oprah Winfrey, I'd never have to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, kind so, of overwhelming at times when you think it was it could... when you first, you know, the cameras are first on, or when you're first asked to speak, and and you know, I, I was actually asked to do a TED talk. Right. But I didn't do it because it coincided with Rosie and I were, you know, they wanted somebody on October the 19th and we were flying to Asia on October the 19th, you know. Would you still like to do a TED Talk? I think you should do a but, TED Talk. Yeah, I probably will one day. Right. Yeah. Um, my friend's on the panel for TEDx Vancouver. Oh, right? One of my mavericks. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to connect you to him as well. In yeah. fact, I'm having coffee with him on Tuesday. Mm. So I think... Mm. You know, my coach told me once, there are no accidents the people we meet in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that. What do you do that makes a project successful? What do you bring to the table? Oh, all the little bits and pieces, you know. Like, 
different days, different things. Mm -hmm. You know, most of it is in, happens in the shop. You know, right. My, my castings, my ideas, my designs, my ways of doing things. I mean, these are manifestations of that, really. Okay. When a project is unsuccessful, I know you said you haven't had any in this year, but it may have just been something else you've worked on. Mm -hmm. What do you consider is the main reason for failure? Hmm. I built a boat that I was... Uh, the main reasons for failure. Hmm. I don't know what the reasons would be. I think just wandering off on the wrong path, you know. And yeah. I built a boat. My idea was to always cruise around the world. Mm -hmm. Took it down as far as Mexico. I mean, I sailed it 30,000 miles just going back and forth and living on it here in Georgia Strait because I, I was doing contract work on this side, on Vancouver Island, halfway up. And my family, my wife and two kids lived in Vancouver. So I'd live on the boat and do my shifts over here. I'd go back to Vancouver. I sailed back and forth across Georgia Strait about 700 times. 99.9% okay. .9 by myself. So you yeah. still built the boat. So yeah, it's yes, successful it. in that but sense. But the thing is, I put in about 20,000 hours over the course of seven years right. into that boat. You know, no more than that. It was 80, 81 until 93 I had that boat. So 12 years. And... When we had a divorce, my ex-wife sold it for less than the cost of the steel that went into it, you know. And, and I was quite happy to just walk away because it was sometimes time for in life, life to change. You know? Sometimes in life, make the best thing yeah, to do is walk away. You just away. gotta walk away and say that's good. Yeah. Got the yeah. badge, got the T-shirt. Away we go. What's next? Yeah. Defo, I did that, and <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you where my life is now yeah. compared. Oh yeah, it's miles better. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? Being in the limelight, standing on center stage, yeah. Now, do you do this work by yourself or as a team? Because I get the impression that you and Rosie work as a team. We do as far as operating, the, being hoteliers and mm -hmm. operating a hotel business. Um, it's always teamwork. I get a steady stream of people, like I was saying. The ones... Two groups, the ones that come here and stay here that I just have brief contact mm -hmm. with, you know, and, and other ones that want to come and learn my craft, that want to come and spend a month or six months or a year working in the shop with me. Mm. And uh, that's where Rosie and I kind of have a little bit of friction because yeah. I'm open to that. Mm. I know these are people, yeah. they wouldn't have showed up at the door if it wasn't meant to be. Yes. And she's, no! <laughs> Yeah, okay, okay. This is our space. Tell them to go find their own place to live. Yeah. So. But sometimes, no and, disrespect to anybody. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the whole point of having a gift is to share it. Yeah. Just one So anyway, respect. that collaboration so, yeah. bit. Quite often it's just people that have come to learn, you know, and spend okay. some time with me. So one of my questions is how important is team to you as a maverick? But I'm not sure how that works with you. So I'm putting it out there. So how important is... Because I'm I not sure... I love the concept. Right. And I buy into that. Yeah. And if somebody brought something to the team, you know, great. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm more of a cooperator. Okay. I like that approach. Because then no single person is holding all the responsibility yes. for 
financing or for designing yeah. or anything. Whereas at the it's moment, it's, yeah. Whereas at the moment, it's you. having it shared is much nicer. Okay. Yeah. So same thing with the next question. Does being a maverick affect your approach to leadership? But I'm not sure if you're leading a team. Yeah. In this case, it's just me and Rosie. Okay. You know, as far as driving free spirit spheres, we would love it to be more of a team. Okay. We yeah. can, we can work on that. Yeah. Because I don't like that being uh, solely in charge and having all that responsibility. I'd much rather parcel that out to somebody else and just, you know, go follow my inner guidance, which is not always driving the ship, you know. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that one. How and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? Mm. I've always been of the, and you can see from this job, of the, better to just do it and ask forgiveness because you're <laughs> never going to get permission, you know. Okay. So I just do it and then ask for forgiveness later on. So, flops or whatever, if somebody's got issues with what I do. So would you say you gave yourself permission to be like this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is being a maverick related to creativity? And if so, how? You've said all these things about ideas and... Yeah, I would say it probably is. First of all, being a maverick is not not um, following this prescribed route, like, mm -hmm. you know, like buying your house when you're really married and building the white picket fence and everything mm -hmm. else. It's being willing to, you know, do something completely mm -hmm. different, winging it, you know. And... Uh, what was the question again? The question was, is being mav being a maverick related to creativity? Yeah, I think so it is. Yeah. I think you're way more creative when you decided to just let go of, you know, everybody else's plan and go your own way. Okay. You know, that's the birth of creativity, I think. Okay. Yeah. So how do you think being a maverick relates to innovation? Oh, one and the same. I think once you, you take that step so that you're not going to necessarily think that every next step has to flow from the one before it, you can just let go of that okay. need for logic and order and everything else. Once you let go of that, you're opening your, yourself to creativity. Exactly. To, you know, inspiration. Okay. So opening yourself to inspiration. Mavericks tend to be learners. Oh, definitely. What are you a student of, Tom? Life. Uh, you know, it's more... I guess I've always had a tendency towards being philosophical, but I think, you know, especially... I got into A Course in Miracles back in probably the mid-1990s, back when... Eleanor and I first split up and okay. went my own way, and and I think my life up to that point was always a search for meaning. You know, like why, mm -hmm. uh, why everything? Why are we here? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose? What's the meaning in it all? You know, and A Course in Miracles kind of gave me that. Okay. You know, so. I think a lot of it is about that, especially with me. That's the number one, you know, if I want to ask me what I'm learning, I'm learning to walk that path more and more. Yeah. You know, um, like, um, 
more seeing myself as a spirit with a body and looking at myself from that point of view where the essence of being is spirit. It's not body. Have you ever heard of a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior? Oh, absolutely. I read it 20 years ago, probably, when it first came out. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share something with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that my biggest achievement this year is that I got a distinction, and I got a distinction in my Masters. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what my biggest achievement is this year? Mm-hmm. Dan Millman emailed me. <laughs> is that right, eh? I asked him if I could interview him. Oh, is that right? Good for you. And he turned yeah. round and he said, normally, um, we're connected in more ways than we realise at the moment, Tom. Um, he emailed me and said, normally my kind regrets are sent by my PA, but in your case, I couldn't do that. Mm. In your case, I had to write to you myself. And he turned around and told me exactly why he didn't want to be interviewed. So I said, fine. And then I told him a little bit about my childhood and my past and how I'd got to here. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and he said that... um, that he'd be watching me from where he was because he thinks I've had a very interesting past and he goes, and I'd bet an interesting future and I'll be watching you. Good journeys. Mm. That's my achievement. Of yeah, well, I think this project is fantastic. Well, I'm surprised nobody's done it. I'm just a messenger. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the way I look at me too. Yes, I know. I know. That's why I said we're very, very similar. Do you draw on other mavericks in any way? Um, Yes, definitely. You know, artists and writers. Yeah. And in fact, one of the guys that worked with me in the shop, one of those people, came up with a mushroom outhouse idea. Right. Just in passing. Okay. You know, plain Jane outhouse, I can't. And and Alice said, "Why do you make a mushroom?" Oh, boom! The light but went on. But it's like yeah. logical. So, I mean, it's like the most fitting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, you hear something, it resonates. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Most of the ideas, most of the ideas I find create get created in this world. Okay, are from completely what I called. People have different types of brains. Some people have very logical brains. My partner, completely methodical and logical. Mm-hmm. Me, completely... You think of the concept of Velcro. Mm-hmm. You know where the idea of Velcro came from. There was a man, he was walking through the fields. You know there's burrs oh, that right. stick yeah, to your yeah, trousers? Yeah. That's where he came up with the idea. Uh. So if you're interested in this stuff, remember I've been I've been doing nothing but reading about stuff like this for three years. Mm-hmm. So it's this concept that a little bit like your idea. Well, this I'm going to create this bauble. I'm going to first you're starting with a boat, and then you're like thinking, well, when the ball wax into the side, hang on, this is suspended. Mm-hmm. You know, this could work. It's, Biomimicry. Yeah, and it's biomimicry, but it's also I call it disparate connections. Mm-hmm. Most of the I wouldn't like to what the genius is, but like you heard of the phrase polymaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody told me years ago I was a polymath and I didn't even know what the word meant. But then I went and looked it up. So it's people that don't know, they don't necessarily know a lot about one thing in a lot of detail. 
but they can connect things that other people don't see connections for. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the great ideas come from. Like people would not have occur burrs sticking on your trousers to a substance that would be holding God mm-hmm. knows what up in years to come. Mm-hmm. So is there anybody who's a maverick that inspires you? Oh, Da Vinci. Oh, yeah. He's one of the polymaths, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so yeah, a lot of people like that. Um, I can't interview him. Usually when they answer no, that question, yeah. <laughs> then I'll go and interview him. A bit difficult. He's not been You know, the Dalai Lama and some oh. of those... Who inspires me? Gandhi inspired me. You know, the works of yeah, yeah. People that I, I was. It's really with. funny you should say that because I was walking through yesterday, thinking, who else would I interview? If 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 time and death mm-hmm. and was who else would I've included? And Gandhi was one of them because how did a man bring a nation to bend down to his way of thinking mm-hmm. without using violence? Mm-hmm. That was thinking differently. Yeah. And the other one was, it, talking about the Dalai Lama, it's really bizarre, because you know he's coming to Vancouver. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go? I've just bought tickets. I bought my tickets two nights ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And I only just found out that there's a Dalai Lama centre in Vancouver, and they're doing, he's doing a talk there. So I've already paid, because if somebody said to me, who does the one person you want to meet on this planet... It's him. I'm just grateful to be present in the same room as him. Mm-hmm. So we've bought tickets for that. But two days before, they're doing an event at the Dalai Lama Centre, which is all about the importance of young people and education. Mm-hmm. And because my previous... When I was a children's nurse, my specialism was young people. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, I can tell you now, somewhere along the line, I was, I was walking through your path yesterday. I'm not thinking... And I don't normally do this, go off, but it's like when it's the right time, I'll say it. I'm a firm believer if you say it out loud, you've just sent a message to the universe to say, now fucking do something with this, excuse my language. <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah. how did a girl, how do I connect a girl with a master's in children's health specialising in young people and the same girl has a master's in innovation, creativity and leadership. How do I find some way to connect that and do something to change mm. the world? That will be the next project. Yeah. Well, I started out in biology. Yeah, you said. <laughs> so I could see the yeah. see the connects. But I've yeah. always had that interest in biology. And now it kind of works together. And you know, it, it's kind of come together over my life too because I quickly learned that I couldn't make a living as a biologist. Yeah. And I got into power engineering. You know, which was more hands-on than what I was good at, you know, and, and paid well, what the society was looking for. And eventually over my career, one of the sub that made me a lot of money over the years was I did a lot of technical writing. Right. Tried, I taught people how to operate plants and processes, and, and eventually that got to be me specializing in teaching people how to run effluent treatment plants. Right, got uh, you. Which is a biological process. Yeah. Go and went full circle and came back around to biology. And, you know, so these operators of an effluent treatment system are basically bug farmers. You know, they, they, they're like God to this population of microbes that really does the work of treating right. effluent, no matter what kind of effluent it yeah. is. You know, it's all it's a biological process, whether it's aerobic or anaerobic. It's 
it's a great big mixed population of microbes that's doing the trick. And how well they do the trick depends on how well you control their environmental parameters and how happy you make them. You know? Right, so got it, you. it kind of wrapped everything all into yeah. the nice yeah. package. It, you know, oh, there was the biological aspect of it and, you know, like the fact that this operator of the effluent treatment system is god to this population of microbe, right. like the outflow, yep. the effluent from a city is raw sewage. Yeah, you know, yeah. Liquids and solids, you, you treat that with microbes or it could be the effluent from a pulp mill or a paper mill or an oil refinery or whatever. You've always got a specialized crop of microbes that do a great job of breaking, breaking the it effluent down. down. Right. And basically how they measure the level of contamination is they, they measure the BOD, the biological oxygen demand okay. of this effluent stream when it comes into an aquifer, a receiving water, okay. if you will. And uh, the more BOD or oxygen demand... And basically, there's an oxygen demand created because if there's organic nutrients in the effluent stream, when they come out into the receiving water, there's going to be some kind of, of the multi-million types of microbes in the world. Right. Some kind is going to say, hey, I can metabolize yeah. that. Right, gotcha. And during the metabolism of this BOD, of these nutrients, it consumes oxygen. And it's going to deplete the oxygen in the receiving water. Right, okay. So what you do is you try and back it up a step. And you try and supply oxygen into a controlled environment. And, and create a population of specialized microbes who can metabolize this BOD. And get rid of it before it hits the receiving water. Okay. And so basically the person that operates this process in here is... A farmer who's charged with, so, first of all, creating a crop of specialized microorganisms that can do the job of... So, basically, because you were an expert in that field, mm -hmm. you could earn money doing that, yeah. which then provided you the yeah. income to be able to do your, your, what I call your dream building. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What do you have to suffer and sacrifice because you're a maverick? The list is long and <laughs> distinctive. Suffer and sacrifice, I don't know, because you're a maverick. I don't know, I don't think there's a downside to it, really. You know? No, I don't see a lot of suffer and sacrifice. I okay. guess the, the part, being on stage. Yeah, know, having yeah. to go out and, and... Sell the product. Sell the product, exactly. Okay. That's as close as it gets, and that's not really that bad. What motivates you as a maverick? Why do you get up and go into your um, workshop and spend days in there? What is it? Oh, it's just, you know, being able to say that I built this at the end of the day. Okay. And I'm watching the reaction of people, you know, like, oh, that's amazing. That's totally fulfilling. You know, just that alone. Is any part of being a maverick related to finding out who you are and what you're capable? I would say, yeah, it flows from knowing who you are and what you're capable of, so that when you get these bizarre ideas, you, you don't doubt that you're going to be able to take that to the end. You know? Yeah. Do you like being a maverick, Tom? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You lost being anything else. 
Is being a maverick important or a responsibility <coughs> in any way? It's a responsibility. I feel a responsibility to share, you know, like, um, and that's why, you know, when somebody comes along and asks me if they can come and work with me for a while, my gut feeling and immediate response is yes, of course, you know, because, I mean, that's just, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't meant to be. Now and now I kind of temper that with, what's Rosie going to say, you know. <laughs> what I personally, I think what Mavericks need, and we need somebody in our life who says, go and fly. Mm -hmm. Go and fly, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. Now you've nearly finished the interview, on a scale of 1 to 10, how Maverick are you? <laughs> I'm a 10. You're a 10. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. What advice, Tom, would you give to someone who feels they're a maverick so that they can be the best possible maverick they could be? Mm. Meditate lots. <laughs> Stay connected, you know. Mm -hmm. Gotta really work on that connection. That's the most important thing in life. How do you promote and serve other people to be mavericks? Uh, just, you know, tell, bolster their confidence, because mm -hmm. they know whether they're going to be that or not. Okay. You, know? you don't have to convince anybody of anything, you know, just... And you've kind of answered... Kind of give them the, the little confidence, a little uplift to mm. help say, oh, okay, you know, it's you're okay. on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you serve yourself to be a maverick? Like you said, um, you've, you encourage people like meditation, so I'm assuming you meditate. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you serve yourself to be a maverick? Remember, you're somebody who everybody, you know, everybody else is saying, why are you doing this? So how do you serve yourself and keep yourself that mm. uplifted? Just try and check in often and make sure that you're on the right path. You okay. know? Like things are going smooth, everything's happening as it should be. And you're not swimming upstream. Okay. You know, going with the flow as opposed to, you know, where problems keep coming in the way. Yeah. You're trying to do something and nothing's working. And that's well, an indication that you're usually on the wrong path. Yes. You know? Actually, if you listen to your heart, it tells you straight away. It's just yeah. that most people turn exactly. the sound down on that. <laughs> well, that's my philosophy. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. And I can be really stubborn that way, too. Right determined that even though I know that's the wrong way to go it's no I did yeah. that for a little I did that for some time I did that yeah. for a long period of my life not anymore yeah. <laughs> don't even it's 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 almost like the the sound is the um, loudspeakers are on so loud for that I can hear my, my head saying what the fuck are you doing Billy mm -hmm. yeah which it took time to build up to that level of instinct yeah. and listening what's your biggest ambition right now I would say my biggest ambition would be to unload this business, get out of the businessman mode, right. which is driving, not so much me, it's driving Rosie crazy. Okay. And I'm getting kind of fed up with it too. But, okay. I'm, you know, I'm already, my brain's whizzing on yeah, how you can do that. You know, to okay. just do some of the things we like, you know, because okay. we're both getting to be retirement age. Yeah. You know, and we have... No money and no retirement. Okay. So.
So, you know, I've been, especially I've been self-employed since about 1986. And, you know, so, and I've always frittered away everything I made on projects and plans and whatever. And so, other than this little four-sphere rental business that we've got, you know, that's basically everything. Okay. You know. Okay. And uh, this is not the kind of business you can sell to somebody else. You know, there's probably a handful of people on the planet that could really make a go of this, you know. Yeah. It's not something where... Do you know what? Everybody... I can tell you, some somewhere along the line, maybe one of the hundred I'll have would be the sort... There'd be a few mm. in there who could do this. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. So we haven't really got it to the point where it's mainstream enough that it okay. would be a saleable business. Okay. Know, instead of just Tom's flight of fancy kind of. And I, I would use, I wouldn't, I don't want to correct you. You said, you know, you frittered the money away. I don't think you frittered it. I think you oh, invested no. No, it. I, yeah, definitely invested yeah. it in some pretty off-the-wall things over the years. If you could have a superhero power, what would it be, Tom? Mm, love. <laughs> That's the only a, one that counts, I think. It's the only one, it's the only currency I've worked in for years. Yeah. Um, it just means there's a lot of people that never get you. As a maverick, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Hmm. Travel. I love to travel. And I'm really on my game when I'm traveling, just meeting people and having that beautiful interaction and, and getting up every morning and going wherever life blows me, you yeah. know, and just totally being and living in the flow. And, oh, that's just magic to me. Yeah, exactly. Can you tell me your one quote that defines you as a maverick? A quote? A single quote? <laughs> I know. I probably have to think on that. I know, because I've got hundreds. <laughs> yeah. and, and my wall's plastered with them yeah. at home. Yeah. But it was one of the last Maverick I interviewed. That was the question he said, that maybe you should ask hmm. every Maverick to give you a quote that defines them. But if you want time to think on that, email it to me. Okay. Because I think that <laughs> one needs thinking time. Yeah. One final question. What would you have liked, liked to be uh, like to have been asked that I haven't asked you? <laughs> You've been pretty thorough. You covered the spirit end of it, which is, you know, most of the people, and in fact, invariably, that's the first question everybody asks: is why? How did you come up with this idea? You know, and why? And, uh, and then they don't usually. You know, if I go off on a tangent and say, well, you know, it's all part of a philosophy of life thing and it really doesn't make any sense until you explain the whole background, you know, like, what are your belief systems? Where do you think you are? What is it, you know, what's the answer to that question, why am I here, yeah. in your mind, sort of thing. And, and you've let me answer that. So yeah. I think you've done a great job. Well, what more? No, no. Where does it go from here? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm going to switch this off. Thank you so much okay. for letting me interview you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I'm, I'm I would just... love to see anything to do with your results.